What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our pregame show for the Oakland game, which it's been a while since we had a pregame. It's we were they're coming pretty frequently for a while there. Uh, I've unburied myself from another foot of snow here in West Michigan, and so I'm ready to go. I'd also like to thank all those who've supported the show. You know, we've tried to bring really uh, unique content. An interview, a last interview with Coach Thomas Kelly. We've had um, Mike Garland on uh, as a, as well for a postgame for Penn State. We you know, and so all the support you guys are giving us is really make a big difference since we really appreciate it a ton. So if you want to support the show financially, you can certainly give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo. You can go find those links at uh, thefinalforcenotetheschedule.com slash support. You can also become a monthly donor to the show. And thanks uh, to those at the Scott Skiles, the Mateen Cleaves, and the Draymond Green level for all your support. Really appreciate it. You ready for Christmas, Rod? Yeah, more or less. So we got, I'll tell you, we got from a census is a college basketball uh, podcast we're recording this on uh on sunday uh sunday morning but yesterday was a hell of a christmas gift for college basketball fans it was one of those one of those days i really really like because there was just wall to wall basically from noon to midnight there were great games and michigan state wasn't playing so i had no tension um, no concern <laughs> yeah. about it. I could just enjoy it as a basketball fan. And it was, it was so great. There were so many good matchups. That's why, um, I think, you know, sometimes as, as basketball fans, um, college basketball fans in particular, we find ourselves focusing on the negative aspects. So we've done some discussion of, of some of those things, uh, over, you know, over time here, you know, uh, poor quality of officiating generally in this sport, I think, uh, you know, the impact yeah. of wide open, a wide open transfer market on continuity and, you know, on and on cheating on and on and on all these things. But the one thing college basketball gets so right by comparison to football is that you have every, every November and every December in the non-conference you have not just good matchups, but true heavyweight matchups a lot. Yeah. And yesterday was in, I mean, think about this. Is there ever anymore a college football equivalent of Houston traveling to Virginia? No, no. Re really not. I mean, maybe you get one by happenstance and I'm talking about the non-conference, obviously games within conference is different, but that's the thing. I totaled it up. Michigan State is going to end up with 26 of its 31 games that are scheduled 
There will be more because of the postseason, but 26 out of 31 uh, against high major opponents, and I'm including Villanova from the Big East as a high major, as, yeah. I, as I should. But um, you think about that. It's no, there's no equivalent to you know the the four, three, or sometimes four tomato cans that high major football teams play, and and part of the reason yeah. is it's the beauty of the sport that the NCAA tournament is where it all gets sorted out. So you don't have fear driving major programs. Well, I don't want to take the chance of, of playing that team. Never mind going to their campus to play them. This stuff, we don't see as many true home and homes as we used to in college basketball, but that's okay. We still see the matchups, even if it's on a neutral court. I mean, it really, it, it started, uh, you know, Houston and Virginia. Um, I saw early. And then at the end of the day, you had Tennessee at Arizona, another great matchup. And in between, there were a ton of others, including the um, yeah. really the most fascinating heavyweight matchup between Michigan and Lipscomb, which went right down to the <laughs> wire, where Michigan held on in a in a huge momentum-building victory for the Wolverines. Um, anyway, but it was a great day, a, a nice early Christmas present for college basketball fans. I hope uh, at least some of our listeners – weren't too busy having to go out and brave the snow and uh, either shovel or buy Christmas presents or both and, and were able to sit back and enjoy some of it. Sounds like my day, although it, you know, I'm living with uh, an Iowa and a Minnesota fan, Minnesota like Vikings and twins. So I came home, it was 33 nothing, I think, when I yeah. walked into that, that well, in an MS, Vikings game. An and then connection, right? Well, that's crazy. I, yeah. I believe, right, exactly. I think I've got this right that MSU quarterbacks are behind the two greatest comebacks in their level of sports history. Cause it was drew Stanton with the comeback over Northwestern, which I believe is the okay. NCAA record. And now Kirk cousins. Oh, I, I will tell you though. It's your wife. That's a Vikings fan. I assume. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that team's not lasting long in the playoffs. Well, I hope, I, I hope she knows that. I think so. But, you know, it's funny when we first met, she's she would uh, lament like, oh, well, it's nothing. You know, you'd have no idea what it's like being a Vikings fan. We always <laughs> these things happen to us and it never yeah. works out. And uh -huh. I said, you are familiar with the line. She said, well, yeah, sort of. I said, yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're yeah. now you'll see the real. And then we were watching some yeah. game. And I think you know, you're going to see the Lions came <laughs> back. The amazing. uh and I don't remember who it was against is back when we first got married. They came back and to tie the game. Well, I mean, all they had to do was kick the extra point, which was like, you know, back then it was like you're kicking from the, the two, right? right Stand from the two. And they mishandled the snap and lost the game. <laughs> She's like, she turned yep. and said, okay, your team's worse. <laughs> yeah. I, the Vikings have been to four Super Bowls. Who's kidding who? Yeah. I know it's I, been a long time, but yeah. Anyway, they, no, they're not lasting long, I don't think. But but congrats to them for an amazing comeback. Yeah, something, yeah absolutely. Something else. So uh, one last question. So do you um, – are you a – what's your favorite Christmas movie? Yeah, let me think about that. Um, I haven't thought it all the way through. I really – I know that at the time – I haven't seen it in many years, but um, I've seen it more than once. Um, the uh, – the Bill Murray Scrooge. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah, film. Yeah. I thought is a. I think that's a really, really good movie. Yeah, um, I've always liked that. That Christmas yeah. Story, of course, is you know a classic. And yeah, uh, that's that's all right. I don't have a problem with that one. Yeah. Um, I haven't been tempted to watch the new one, 
with the adult version of Peter Billingsley. Uh, I can't oh. remember which streamer it's on, maybe Netflix. Um, but uh, but yeah, probably off the top of my head, I would probably say Scrooged. Yeah, I think that's good. I, you didn't strike me as a Hallmark movie kind of guy, uh, but I was also I was also kind of prepared for Die Hard too. And that we watched that as a family yeah, a few years ago. I'm not I'm not a huge I'm not a huge action movie guy. They're all right, but yeah, that that one does. I I don't dislike it, but it's not a. Yeah, it's a die. The Die Hard franchise was never anything that really enraptured me particularly. I don't think it's terrible, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I know people have the endless debate: is it a Christmas movie or not? I'm aware enough to know that, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, probably Scrooged, I guess. All right, well, let's talk about Oakland here. Uh, annual game that Michigan State plays, and usually Oakland comes in as a team that can sting you. Uh, usually pretty competitive, and they are really having trouble this year. They are two and nine heading to the game. As recording this, they have not yet played. They're playing today against Boise State uh, in Idaho. They're zero and two in their league too, which is not the start that we're used to them. It's used to being them being competitive in the Horizon League, uh, and they oftentimes surprise major opponents, which you know that's obviously not happened. Uh, they only got one D1 victory right now, which is a two-point win over Amani Bates and Eastern Michigan, and six and, and nine in overtime. In overtime, right? And six and nine losses are have been by double digits. They're three hundred six in Ken Palm, which is not surprising with that record. Uh, and the worst opponent uh, that Michigan State is going to see this season, and that was not probably what we expected when the season began. Oh, they're. Uh, I would have said I would have said Brown or, uh, or or Northern Arizona would have been my choices, right? And. Um, and no, it's pretty clearly right now, at least, it's pretty clearly Oakland, which yeah. is surprising. Keep in mind, they were picked fourth in the For, horizon, and, right. and they might still get to that level, but the 0-2 start has to be disappointing. Well, not just um, 0-2, but just getting not even being competitive in so many games early, right. too. Right? And that's, and that's, that's the big thing, right, that they haven't been particularly competitive. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Greg Campy has done a, a tremendous job there over his tenure. I mean, built, he literally is the guy who built the program at Oakland. Right. Uh, took them to D1, took them through the early years of having to be an independent, then into the summit, and now into the horizon. So he is, in my mind, he is a very, very good coach. I have a lot of respect for him. I think most most people in the, in the sport do as well. Um, but this year, there's... There's a line I'm trying to I'm straining to remember the context. I think it might have been a Moneyball line. Yeah, it was. There's a there's a line um, in Moneyball from uh, Billy Bean where he's being asked about why the A's have been able to be successful in the regular season and yet never break through to a World Series. And I'm paraphrasing, but I think the line goes something like um, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. And this year, Greg Campy in the transfer portal is not working. Um, he has had, and he's done it a few different ways. You know, he had a number of teams, although it's been a while since he's had one of these, which were really built on largely on high school players he recruited. And he actually did a lot of it in mid-Michigan. Yeah. He had some very, very good players from schools like Okemos and DeWitt, um, Lansing Sexton, you know, he's done he, in different points of his career. He's done that. But of late, his success has really been um, in the transfer portal primarily. Even last year, 
You know, they had uh, Jamal Kane from Marquette who came in and averaged 20 points. I think he came close to averaging a double-double for them, you know, and that's been a, a reoccurring pattern in recent years. This year, he hasn't been able to duplicate that to the same effect. And uh, I think that's been part of the problem. They also got bit by the transfer portal, too, which is something, by and large, he's avoided. I've always been surprised by that. Like, even when the grad transfer rule came into effect, there were years I thought they would probably lose somebody. There was a kid from Okemos they had, a shooter, several years ago, Travis Bader, who was a really good shooter. Uh, and I always thought, I always personally kind of had him on transfer watch, maybe Michigan <laughs> State even, because I thought, well, a kid from Okemos. Yeah, right. You know, and MSU had a need. It never happened. But he did lose. He lost Micah Parrish to San Diego State this year. And, and that definitely left a hole that I don't think they've quite replaced. Um, so that's hurt them as well. But, uh, yeah, no question that it's a disappointing start to the season for Oakland. Um, which has a bit of an impact in terms of how you look at this game. Because as you mentioned, normally we're coming into this game and you're concerned about what might happen to Michigan State as a big favorite. And it's for obvious reasons, a couple of them. One, usually Oakland's pretty good. Two, you worry about the impact of... um, especially the local kids, the Michigan recruits, that this is sort of their Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you worry about that. Now, MSU is 20-0 and all-time against Oakland. That's eventually going to change. They keep playing this game, as I think they will. Eventually, Oakland's going to get MSU. Yep. Um, four times it's been a single-digit game. One of those, the most recent one, uh, was uh, people probably remember this, the 2015-16 season, uh, Denzel Valentine was hurt. Remember that period of probably three weeks or so that he was out? They played Oakland during that period, and uh, Oakland had Khalil Felder, who was eventually an NBA player, really, really good guard. And MSU needed every bit of a spectacular Bryn Forbes shooting night to get to overtime and beat them in overtime. But that's the last time that it was that close. Um, It's been all double-digit victories since then. So you have to – every year you typically, oh, God, is this the year? And sometimes (laughs) there's reason to worry about it. Even some years where MSU's ended up winning by double digits, going into the game you didn't feel as confident because Oakland was playing well. Maybe MSU was struggling a bit. And, you know, you you worried, was this the time they are going to get them? I don't think there's much fear this time around, which kind of concerns me (laughs) because on (laughs) paper, there is no reason to expect that it should be particularly close. Um, But that's why they play the games. Well, just on the numbers to to match what we're talking about, you know, that Oakland is 185th in offense in Ken Palm and 359th in defense. So they're one of the five worst defensive teams in all of basketball. Yeah. Uh, and offense, really, they're not, it's not like they're great shooting. They just are, don't turn the ball over a whole lot. They're number 20th in turnovers. They shoot poorly from three. They're only 34%. Their offensive rebounding is 327th, which, again, is very, very close to the bottom. They don't get to line very much. They're number 245th in field goal attempts. 
uh, or free throw attempts per field goal uh, attempts and and defense. You know, they're obviously terrible, 359th, right? So teams shoot well against them from three, from two. They're in the 300s for both of those. They don't defensively rebound very well, and the only thing they do is they don't foul. But that may be because they're just like uh, fence posts and they're just letting people buy them. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it's it's a horror show. I mean, it really is. You know, offensively, as you pointed out, really the only thing they do well is they don't give the ball away. Um, everything else, they're, they're really shooting poorly from three. They're at 31% as a team. Um, they're not great from two either. They don't get to the line very much. They're a truly horrendous rebounding team at both ends. Um, and it, But then, you know, as bad as all that is, the defensive side is worse. They're, <laughs> they're buried in the mid to low 200s against twos and threes. They don't defensive rebound, so teams are pounding them with second and third chances. Uh, they don't turn people over. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really, really a bad, bad picture. Um, it's one of the worst profiles you will see truthfully um when you when you get used to looking at this stuff even when you're talking about mid-majors or you know so-called low majors um you know the really small d1 programs you don't typically see profiles that are this bad across the board and you know in fairness to them they've had some injury problems they continue to have some injury problems so that's disrupted their rotation um, not so much their lineup. I think their starting lineup has been pretty consistently what you would expect, but their depth has been hurt, has been hit for sure. But even so, I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't change the overall picture that much, most likely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as we go through the stars, you'll you'll see that you know it's, you mentioned earlier that the, it's the transfer have just not played as they'd hoped, right? And so that's they've had been one the main transfer problem. who's played well and one who has not. Yeah. So uh, let's go through the starters. We'll begin with Jalen Moore, 5'11", senior point guard, averaging 12.7 points a game on 37, 25, and 78 shooting, leading the team in six assists per game, but also four turnovers a game. And uh, I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that they expected from as a senior to be a little bit more this season to help lead the team. Yeah, and it's really been um, surprising from a negative perspective. Now, I want to start by giving him a little bit of an out he's been banged up he he had a a hand and wrist injury that actually kept him out for some of the summer and then just as the season was beginning to start um he had an ankle injury and and it led to him missing one game so uh he's playing and he's giving them some production that's true but uh it's not it's not what you would expect. This is a guy who was a first team, all horizon choice in the preseason. And if you look at his numbers over the last three years, he's declined each year. His scoring average to as a sophomore in the COVID year was uh, almost 18 points a game. And he's down to 12.7. His shooting has been poor. I don't know. You have the shooting numbers. Yeah. It's 37, 25 and 78. Yeah, 25, I mean, he's never been a 40% guy, but he's been better than this. Yeah. And and so it's, yeah, it's it. I have to expect. Now, I'm going to be perfectly honest 
with uh, our listeners. I have not been locked in watching Oakland games, so I can't I can't say this for certain. But I have to I have to believe, based on what I understand, that the injuries are playing a role in this. I can't believe it's sure. all Jalen Moore just being poor, but he's been poor in terms of his production. Now, a caveat to all of this is he's played Michigan State twice in his career. He scored 26 points two years ago, and he scored 25 last year. So he comes in averaging 25 and a half points a game over his career in two meetings. So he has lit up when facing Michigan State in the past. So that's the concern. And the next starter is one who will be very familiar to Michigan State fans, Rocket Watts. His return to the Breslin Center, this time with Oakland. And he's just really struggled since he's left East Lansing. I mean, he struggled, obviously, his sophomore year uh, for the Spartans. He went down to Mississippi State, uh, started just one game, shot 25% from three. This year, transferred to Oakland, I think, you know, another fresh start, maybe a little uh, lower competition. And, uh, again, just really not doing really great. He's averaging eight and a half points a game on 34, 26, and 56 shooting. And so, uh, you know, it's for a kid who showed some promise for a couple games near the end of his freshman year, he really has just not gotten back to anywhere near where he was those few games. I mean, you, you think about this. You're talking about someone who was a starter most of the year as a freshman for a Big Ten champion. Okay, so say what, say what you want. That, that's, that's a fact. And as you say, he ended that year. If you look at the way he was playing over those last two, three weeks, of that season, he was giving you reason to think, all right, he's figured it out. He had started the year with a little bit of a bum leg, which had impacted some things, but he had, he had fought through that. He was a terror defensively. I mean, just great. One of the better freshman defenders they'd had in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, and now you, you flash forward three years down the line and you see where he's at. And injuries, again, have been a part of it for Rocket Watts. I, I'm not trying to make excuses. It's just a fact. He's he's had trouble staying healthy. Perhaps it's taken some things away from him physically in in some ways. I think that it's it's possible to view it that way. I I just think it's it's hard to fully understand what's happened. Now there are people who will say that they saw all this coming. Um, I don't know that I give that a lot of credence. I, I was someone who, when he was being recruited, had some questions. I questioned the fit for, for in MSU's program for some, what I thought were legitimate reasons. I questioned whether he could ever become a point guard. Well, that's been answered definitively. No. Mm -hmm. um, but even I didn't see this. Yeah. I don't I don't think anybody did. And you look at the numbers and I mean it's just all right there. The bottom line is Rocket Watts is not a great ba college basketball player at this point. He's just not. Uh he's also you mentioned the offensive numbers, but he's also not nearly the defensive player he once was. Right. Um if he was, he would have played a bigger role than he did at Mississippi State last year. And he would at least be giving you that at Oakland. But no, he's part of one of the five worst defensive teams in America. So it's really unfortunate because I think, um, you know, my impression, my understanding is that he's a he's a good kid. You haven't you haven't heard about any problems with him. 
mm-hmm. um, it just has not worked out. And sometimes that's what happens, you yeah. know. And in his case, too, the other thing is I, I think it's been made pretty clear at this point the transfer portal has not helped Rocket Watts. Would it be a better story or a different story if he'd remained at MSU? I don't know that. I I think there's reason to believe it probably wouldn't be hugely different. But you could pretty clearly state that the portal has not saved Rocket Watts's career. Right. You know, he's on his third stop, and the results are getting worse, not better. Yeah, for a player who came in, if I recall, you know, he was offensively, people were not worried about him. And then it was the defensive questions, you know, would he be able to play defense? Then he came on campus and you're like, well, he's not shooting great, but we know he can shoot and he's really defending great. So that's what put him on the court. As you mentioned, he was starting because he was able to play defense, which is what you need to do at, you know, at Michigan State to, to get consistently on the court. Even that sophomore year, you know, he was... He was much more inconsistent defensively than he'd been as a freshman, but he still he still showed that I think he had the potential to get back there. You know, at least yeah. that's what I believed. And it just, you know, th- there's also an argument to I me mean, that look, you could spend we could spend an entire episode on the whatever happened to Rocket Watts, but you know, there are some people that think that that experiment his sophomore year with playing him at the point really did a number on him psychologically and he hasn't recovered from that. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sympathetic to that argument because I think he's had a couple of years since then to get, to get things back in line and neither Mississippi state nor Oakland has asked him to run point. So he's had a couple of years to get past that, but that is a, a line of discussion that's out there with, yeah. with regard to him. And it's also true by the way, you know, we always get caught up in these or in these situations. We find ourselves caught up in, you know, discussions about a player's um, camp, their posse, their, the mm-hmm. people around them. Well, all of those people wanted and believed that Rocket Watts's future was as a point guard. You know, so it's not like he was forced into it. I think maybe he believed. He wasn't well suited to it, but those around him certainly welcomed that development and it just didn't work. You know, MSU gave him lots of opportunities and, you know, MSU had done that job with guys who had similar profiles in the past, guys like Kalen Lucas, Keith Appling, who came in as scorers and were developed into lead guards. There was no reason to think it couldn't happen with Rocket Watts. It just didn't. Well, let's go on to the next player is Keaton Hervey, 6'4", grad transfer from Missouri State, averaging 13.8 points a game on 52, 40, 68 shooting, and also pulling down almost eight rebounds a game. Yeah, and so he's the transfer who has worked. You know, it's not the, – the, the difference here is he's not doing it at um, the level that uh, – God, I'm drawing a blank on the kid from Illinois they had a few years ago, the guard from Illinois um, or what Jamal Kane did last year. You know, Oakland's had some transfers in recent years who came in and just were tremendous. I mean, you know, horizon player of the league level guys. He's not that, but you look at those numbers, he's having a pretty good season. So this one worked in the portal. They just didn't, maybe they needed more of it. (laughs) Let's let's put it that way. Uh, next will be Will Shepard, 6'8", 220-pound sophomore from Dallas, 
Uh, he's been starting for the Grizzlies. He's averaging 3.8 points a game and 1.6 rebounds a game in about 14 minutes, shooting 39, 35, and 83, but not obviously a whole lot of shots in that. No, and and this is you know one of the problems Oakland has is they lack size, and so this is their true big man in the lineup. You know that's that's the reality of it. Now they have another one they play off the bench who's a little bit bigger still, but um, one of the you know sometimes teams we talked about uh, going into the Brown game how that team had been so good defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. despite not having a lot of playable size. So it's not necessarily the case that if you don't have any size, you can't rebound, but sometimes it is. And in Oakland's case, that's part of it. <laughs> and finally is Trey Townsend, 6'6", 230-pound sophomore from Oxford. Um, he's the best player. He's averaging 17.3 points a game and second rebounding at 7.6 a game, shooting 55, 40, and 61 yeah, he's a look, he's a really good player. And, you know, I talked about, um, you know, Greg Campy over the years doing a pretty good job at not having the transfer bug bite him and that it did this year losing Micah Parrish. Well, he's very fortunate with Trey Townsend. Trey Townsend is actually an Oakland legacy. His mom and dad both played there. And he talked about it. He would have been a very attractive uh, transfer candidate last year because he played very well as a freshman. But he has said he had no interest in transferring. He's he's grown up an Oakland fan. You know, how many kids say that? Yeah, not many, yeah, right. Um, and uh and he wants to be there as a member of another Oakland NCAA tournament team, which, you know, for all Greg Campy's success, he hasn't been to the tournament since twenty thirteen. Yeah. They haven't been to the tournament since they joined the horizon. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um so it's been a while now and Trey Townsend wants to be part of that, you know, building them back to the point that, uh, that, that he's a key guy on an Oakland NCAA tournament team. And, um, so I think they're actually fortunate that they probably, unless something, you know, unless like Greg Campy retired, I don't think they have to worry about losing him. So that bodes well for their future for this year. He's clearly their best player. Um, leading, leading score, barely the second leading rebounder. He could easily end up leading them in both categories by the end of the year. Um, versatile. His the only knock is he's only six six, and they got to play him inside. Yeah. So it doesn't play to his strengths, you know. But he does what he can. So a good player. Well, and you know the one advantage of Oakland, the disadvantage, of course, is you're coming from a one bid one bid league. The advantage is that you know. It all comes out of the tournament at the end of the season. So, right. you know, if you somehow get things put together, I mean, obviously the way they're playing now, there's there's no chance of them making the tournament. But weirder things have happened, I suppose. Absolutely. No, they could they could find it. And you're right. In those leagues, you know, you um you get hot over four days. You can do it. You can pull it off. So, um, you know, hope springs eternal, I guess, for Trey Townsend and for his team. That's the beauty of college basketball, right? That you have that all these teams have a chance to make it and then maybe get lucky in the tournament and something happens there, too. Yep. Uh, so moving on to the reserves, uh, this is where the injury issues, as you alluded to earlier, have they've been dealing with them. Uh, two guards, uh, Blake Lampham from Hazlitt and Lauren Bowman from Detroit are expected to miss the game. And uh, Lampman is a shooter for 
shooting 38% for three, but he broke his arm, so he's obviously not going to be back till uh, January. And Bowman is out with a bad ankle. Bowman's a little bit um, to be determined. He's My understanding is he's definitely missing their game tonight against Boise State, so I'm assuming that he probably misses the Michigan State game as well. But, you know, it's possible you might see him, but I'm going to assume he's out. And and just to refresh people's memories, you know, Lauren Bowman, another transfer who hasn't worked out yet, but he transferred in after two years with Wisconsin. Um, so this is a, another former Big Ten guard um, who it just hasn't worked for. The thing is, Lauren Bowman was pretty effective as a shooter, at least, in limited minutes uh, with Wisconsin last year. So I think Oakland probably figured at the very least they were getting a guy who could come in and give them some some uh, point production. Well, sure. it, he hasn't shot well thus far. So, Yeah, you imagine with, uh, with transferring, we always have the question, you know, if you come from a mid-major, can you come in and can you come to a higher level and still maintain that shooting percentage? You would think going the other direction, it'd be much easier. Sure. But, you know, but there are other things that go into shooting. Absolutely. <laughs> Confidence and all sorts Absolutely. of other stuff, right? So, And look, I, and I got to tell you, I mean, Lorne Bowman's shooting last year at Wisconsin surprised me because in, in seeing him play some in high school and AAU, uh, he was not a guy viewed as a, ever as a pure shooter. He was more the Rocket Watts streaky kind of guy. So I, I guess I'm not totally shocked that it's declined a little bit. So we'll begin with Brody Parker, 6'1 guard from Troy. Uh, just got back in the lineup and played 23 minutes against Syracuse. Didn't score, 0 for 6 overall, 0 for 5 from 3. Uh, he's struggled shooting. He was shot 37 and 20 last season. Yeah, he was a very good high school player at Troy. Um, it hasn't quite translated into production at Oakland just yet, but uh, especially with these injuries, uh, he's going to play a lot. I think over at least over these next say four weeks or so. Um, so he's going to have an opportunity to, to make a case for himself moving forward, but uh, he can also play some point guards so he can give, um, he can give more some, uh, some relief help, whatever he needs, which isn't a lot more play a lot of minutes, but um, yeah, Parker's a guy they liked out of high school. A lot of people liked him out of high school. It just hasn't quite worked just yet, but, but he is the kind of player that, Historically, um, Campy has has developed. You know, yeah. so a lot of Michigan high school kids who weren't quite at that Big Ten level that he's used to build his program. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't bury Parker just yet. Next would be a say Price, six four sophomore wing, averaging four point three points a game and forty three twenty nine and eighty three shooting in seventeen minutes. Yeah, and he was a guy they were. It was good as a freshman last year. They were very high on. Um, we'll see. Uh, he only played, I think he played one or two minutes against Syracuse. So I'm not sure what the deal was there. I tried to see if there was an injury problem and I didn't see it. Um, that might've been just a coach's decision, but, uh, he was a guy they thought maybe was ready for a breakthrough this year. And that has not really come to fruition. Then the real true big that you had talked about earlier, Chris Conway, six, nine, 240 pound sophomore. He started a couple times this season, and he's averaging three points a game and 1.8 rebounds a game in 12 minutes. Yeah, he's he's the one guy uh, who who would classify as that as a true big. And you know, this is the thing: Oakland over it, 
to find big men that are truly effective players is really a challenge at the level Oakland plays at. I mean, if you think about it, it's a challenge at the Big Ten level. So why would it be anything (laughs) else, you know? But over the years, one of the reasons I think Greg Campy has had success is he hasn't had, I'm trying to think, he's had some very good centers. He hasn't had like a superstar, but he's generally had pretty good big man play. And, and oftentimes, actual legit big men, like not what you sometimes see at the mid-major level, you know, a six, seven, six, eight guy kind of masquerading as a five. He's actually had, like, legit five men. He doesn't really have that this year. And so I think that's a factor in some of what's going on as well. And finally, Chuog Deng, 6'5", sophomore wing. He came from the JUCO ranks, and he's just averaging a point a game in only six minutes. Yeah, and he's only played half their games. Um, uh, but again, because of the injuries, I think th- there's a decent chance we'll see him for a few minutes. But he hasn't done a lot of damage. So we'll go to the five keys of the game. Number one being health. This is one that uh, Coach Kelly mentioned in the last uh, interview we had with him, which is you know, getting people back. Obviously, Hall's not going to be back for this game. Hopefully, he'll be back for the, the 30th game against Buffalo. Uh, but see if Aikens can get going a little bit better and get sort of better in game condition and feel a little more comfortable out in the court. I will, I will say just to stoke the fires. <laughs> um, there was a photo that I saw yesterday, and I'm, I, I apologize for drawing a blank on the exact nature of the charity, but there was a there was a charitable effort that the team was involved in at, and Stephen Izzo apparently kind of led the way. Oh yeah, yeah. On it, and the, so the team, the entire team, was uh, pictured wearing T-shirts that uh, referenced the charity, and they were they were in the uh, um, practice facility. You could tell, and Malik Hall was in the photo. He was holding the basketball, and he wasn't wearing a boot. Now I don't know. Bum bum bum. <laughs> anything other than that i haven't asked anybody um i saw a little bit of speculation on twitter yesterday when the photo got out there it would be a little early but i i did think it was interesting keep in mind Jaden akins was without the boot for several days um before uh before he actually came back and played so, and I think even before he started practicing, so it could simply be a precursor to Malik getting back at practice, say next week, right? Um, and uh, and and trying out, but we're trying it out, but we'll see. So, yeah, um, yeah it's obviously look. Yeah, you got two things going on. One, you got to get your already injured guys, and I'm still including Akins in that category because he, although he's not injured you're trying to get him ramped back up to where he was in September, you know, and this is, this has now gone on for quite a while when you deal with the original injury, the recovery from that, and then sort of the restart after that Villanova game um, where he had to go back and recover from it again. Um, you're still trying to get him back up to speed. And then of course, get Malik call back. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you want to make sure that nobody else joins them. Right. So this is this is a big thing at this time. You know, you want to go back in a Big Ten play. We've been talking about it for a while. That's where they're at. They're kind of in and have been in survival mode. 
So I get through this period, get everybody healthy, and then make sure when those Big Ten games start back up, you're dealing with a full deck of cards. Yeah. Because I think we like, you know, and I think Tom Izzo likes what he has with this team and has reason to feel confident if he's got his full complement of players. Well, and I would say generally with the soft tissue injuries, especially ones that are, they're hard to sort of, to find definite, you know, defects like, you know, tears or breaks and stuff. Usually you take the recommendations, whatever it is, like three weeks, and you don't deviate too much from those. So I'd be very surprised if they were to push something like that, say, oh, he's without pain. Because those recommendations are just made with a general understanding that that's how long it takes to recover from them. Some people obviously recover sooner, some later. But uh, I, especially in this situation against Oakland, the likelihood of you ever pushing that sort of thing is, I think, incredibly low. So I, I think he'll – we'll probably see him, like you said, practicing afterwards would be sort of my expectation, and then you'll see him. I, yeah, I just, I, I, just for the record, I in no way was suggesting that I think he's going to play against Oakland. Right. That I, I think that's completely off the table. I was just more interested in the fact that it would indicate advancement yes. in his progress. That's no, I don't think there's any chance, not a not a chance in hell that he sees the floor against Oakland. So the next key to the game is is the starting point guard Moore. Uh, he's not playing great this year, as we talked about, but he has played well against Michigan State. You know, this he loves playing us. And so, you know, preventing him from getting off and getting going is really probably an uh, important thing to, to prevent them from being hurting us too much offensively. Well, and and look, the good news is in those two games where he's played MSU in the past that averaged 25 and a half points, um, he has not seen a back an MSU backcourt that is at the level defensively that this group is. I mean, he's he's seen um, all these guys, other than Trey Holloman, he's seen Walker and Hogard and, and Aikens in the past, but I don't think he's seen these guys playing at this level. Um, I think Tyson Walker has just been tremendous defensively this season. Just tremendous. I think Jaden Aikens has been really good and he isn't even a hundred percent yet. Right. He'll yeah. be even better. I think AJ Hogard has been spottier, but better lately. And we know how capable of a defender he is when he's right. Um, and then Trey Holloman, very, very good for a freshman. So MSU has the guys they need, I think, to deal with more. But I, I look at it this way. In analyzing this game, is there a path to Oakland winning that doesn't involve Jalen Moore going off? I don't think there is. I really don't. Um, so I think if you're MSU, you kind of load up on Jalen Moore. You do everything you can to force him to get the ball out of his hands, and you live with everybody else. You know, you live with Rocket Watts taking eight or nine threes. You know, um, even though their shooting percentages are similar, I would I would live with Rocket Watts taking a lot of shots as opposed to Jalen Moore. Uh, so next would be energy. So obviously when you're going up against an inferior opponent, it's tough. And then of course in this situation, you play this team every year and they know at some point they're going to get you. And so can you maintain that energy that you need to overcome the, you know, and, and this, I guess, you know, this goes back a little bit to what Thomas Kelly was telling us last show, you know, do you have a 
senior led team, a uh, player led team that they can, that they can bring that energy and focus when they need to, yeah. even when it may not be there in the arena, for instance. Yeah. And there's two aspects to this one. You, you mentioned the first, which is there every year in this game. It's, do you have the focus to take this game seriously to MSU's credit? And I, even, you know, as an observer over all 20, I've seen all 20 of these games. Um, when I went back and looked, I thought there were more than four games that had been played in single digits. I was surprised. I would have guessed it was more like, you know, six, seven that got there. Mm -hmm. What that says to me is that Michigan state has generally done a pretty damn good job of staying locked in, realizing the challenge that was in front of them, that you had a lot of, you know, a program and a, and, individual players with chips on their shoulders, you know, who were coming in at looking at the MSU game as a very big deal and a very big opportunity. And, um, and Michigan state has generally done a pretty good job in dealing with it, but every year it's a fresh challenge. And the concern this time around is in many years prior, you know, Tom Bezo could credibly tell his team, Hey, look, these guys are good. You know, re sometimes really good. And, uh, and you have to take them seriously. And so he's been able to get their attention. The concern you would have is that because of the start their team is off to this year, that it's a harder job. But I, I'm reasonably confident MSU can, will take this seriously enough. Um, the other thing, which is less certain, is sometimes in terms of energy and, and especially the sharpness with which you play, if you're coming off a long layoff the way MSU is, you could have trouble. And so that's another thing to wonder about. I mean, look, we all know they desperately needed this time that mm -hmm. they've had. Um, but that is a concern when you're coming off a long period where you haven't played a game is how sharp are you, especially early. And we'll just see. I mean, MSU is going to have to fight their way through that. You hope that they come out guns blazing and shots are falling and they're able to get into a rhythm, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. So can you find that reservoir of energy and it's more sharpness than energy, I think typically, but that's the other concern. Next would be points in the paint. So obviously we talked about Oakland as being a small team. And so can you get stuff going in there with, you know, Joey Hauser and maybe even at the five spot with Kohler and um, Sissoko. And I, you know, again, not having seen, not having seen much of Oakland this year, I don't know this for sure, but I would guess if I were Greg Campy, I would be trying, I mean, they've been terrible in all aspects defensively, but I probably would be loading up as much as I could on the perimeter, trying to take away open threes mm -hmm. from MSU and figuring that I will live with what their post guys do to me. That, that would be how I would probably approach it if I were him. Because I don't think he could do much. I mean, he could pack it in and and try to handle it that way. But I, if you're facing MSU, do you, you know, are you going to live with saying, all right, I'm going to let uh, Marty Sissoko and Jackson Kohler prove that they can beat me? Uh, I, that's probably how I would try to approach it. Um the problem, of course, is that Oakland just doesn't have any size to come. So if you load up on the perimeter, it's not like you've got that bigger player 
inside where you say, well, you got to hold the fort down. They don't have anybody to hold the fort down. <laughs> right. Yeah. So for MSU, I would like to see a lot of activity near the rim, but that can come in different ways. It's not all post up. So I would like to see Sissoko Kohler getting those opportunities, but it's also, you know, AJ Hogarth getting into the middle of the lane, playing on two feet, you know, creating shot opportunities for himself and for teammates. You know, it's that stuff too. There's points in the paint period you want to see in this game. And finally, offensive rebounding. This is a dreadful rebounding team, both ends and especially defensively. And so if there's ever time for Michigan State to get it going and to, you know, work on offensive rebounding, which the coaches, both Garland and then later Thomas Kelly, uh, affirmed that that is something they were trying to do, to do and improve. I mean, this is the game to do it. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, if you're talking about trying to establish, establish habits and, you know, uh, get some confidence in that area. This is a game where that opportunity presents itself. Um, look, Michigan State right now is outside the top 200 in offensive rebounding. I went back and looked, and over the entire Ken Palm era, which you can translate to the entire Izzo era, because even before Ken Palm came into existence, we know they were extremely good as an offensive rebounding program. There's one year, the 03-04 season, they ended up number 228. I think they're 207 right now in offensive rebounding. So there's one year over all that time where they were in this ballpark. Other than that, you know, we know it's been a staple. Even the last two years where it's been relatively down by MSU standards, they were 91st and 90th. Yeah. So still significantly better than they are this year. Now, to their credit, They've, they seem to have solved the defensive rebounding thing. They're top 50 right now in defensive rebounding. So that is encouraging. I, and what I take from that is this is not a poor rebounding MSU team overall. It has been a poor offensive rebounding team. Can that change? They're obviously, this is, there's no Antonio Smith coming through that door. But can they be better than they've been? Well, as we talked about with... Um, with both Coach Garland and Coach Kelly, you're missing Jaden Akins and Malik Call. That's two of your best offensive rebounders, right? So there are reasons for it to some extent, but I also think it's a team-wide thing. They've, they've got to get more focus in that area, and they got to be better because I think in Big Ten play, if they're still at this level, I think it's going to be hard. Because yeah, with no the quality question. of defense you face in the Big Ten, you're probably going to miss more shots. And if you're going to if you're going to still find ways to win, well, you need to come up with second opportunities, maybe with more regularity than you've seen uh, to date uh, this season. So we'll see if they can establish it. But as we say, um, no better opportunity than this game is going to give you. Right, and you know, right now this stands incredibly improved turnover percentage and offense for the team has been sort of neutralized by the fact that you just can't offensive rebound. So you're, the right. benefit you're getting is not really there. It's a really good point. They're, they're, they're number 33 in turnover percentage, which would be by a mile the best MSU's ever done under Tom Izzo. The second best number is 2015. They were 71st. They're 33rd right now. They've only twice in, in the Ken Palm era 
been inside the top 100. And oh, by the way, both of those years were final four seasons. I'll just drop that in there. <laughs> um, I don't know what that says about this year's team, but I'll just note it. Um, but you're right because it's, it's not combined with the kind of offensive rebounding quality we typically see. MSU isn't getting the advantage in possessions that you would normally expect. Normally at MSU, if, if you have a game where they only commit, say, seven or eight turnovers, you figure MSU is getting a bunch more opportunities to score than the opponent, right? Yep. Because you know they're getting second chances. Well, that's not really happening this year. So it is, it is nullifying that improvement to some extent. Michigan State is a 22-point favorite uh, per Ken Palm, and this is a game where, you know, I've talked about before, this may be an opportunity, especially with the relationship that Campy has with Izzo. You know, maybe just like the Northern Arizona game, they intentionally foul Stephen Izzo to try and get him some collegiate points before the the real season begins again. Uh, but, of course, that relies on all those keys. And Michigan State comes out guns blazing and kind of buries his team early, and so hopefully that's what happens. Uh, that game is, of course, on Wednesday. We'll be back with coverage afterwards with analysis. Uh, and I would ask for your indulgence briefly, uh, listeners, so that because it is Christmas season and I've been sort of thinking about it a little bit. I started another podcast, a medical podcast, back in uh, spring of 2018. And um, in the on August 15th, uh, 2018, on our way to a Whitecaps baseball game, we were struck by a, a distracted driver. And my 14-year-old, or middle son, Andy, uh, passed away at the scene. Uh, it's obviously been a struggle for uh, many years uh, uh, dealing with that. My wife's a pediatrician, and so she couldn't even work for a year. Um, but I ended up continuing my show. And one of the things about Andy, uh, because he always would joke, this, you asked me if my show had gone viral, and you know, of course I'd say, no, of course it hasn't. <laughs> but... Uh, but I was always able to honor him during the show. He was, uh, everyone's kid is unique and special. And the one thing with him was he was incredibly musical and talented. I mean, unbelievable. I have no talent at all. He had more talent in his little finger than I have in my entire body. He uh, sang for the Grand Rapids Choir of Men and Boys, one of maybe like a dozen uh, men and boys choirs in the world. And they're truly fantastic. Uh, they're unbelievable. And he was uh, able to sing with them for a number of years. And, you know, you're able to sing until your voice changes. And his voice had never quite changed uh, when he passed away uh, right before high school and at age of 14. So I would always close my show with his solo uh, from the Christmas show of 2017. And so today, instead of closing with the Michigan State fight song, we're going to close with with his solo. I'd encourage you if you're, I don't know when you're listening to this, if you're in the Grand Rapids area, you certainly can come out to their last concert is going to be at 7 p.m. at St. Andrew's Cathedral downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, you're more than welcome to come down and you know, I'll be there. You can say hi to me, I suppose, if you wanted, but it's a great experience, a great sort of Christmas thing. Uh, and, and also I would say my wife, about a year afterwards, when she was getting ready to go back to work again, um, she was wondering, you know, how to sort of handle her grief and she thought maybe she should listen to podcasts. She's never been a podcast listener like me. And so she said she searched for uh, podcasts for parents and dealing with grief and she couldn't find any. And so she asked me to help and I, you know, mansplained to her how to search for podcasts and 
and I couldn't find any. There weren't any. And so she sort of made an offhand comment that she should maybe start her own. And I encouraged her and she ended up launching her own podcast for parents dealing with the loss of their child. And she's 160 episodes in, hundreds of thousands of downloads. She's had parents from all over the world and she's helped thousands. And so I would encourage you if you are someone who's lost a child uh, or you know a family or relative that they check out her show. Uh, it's called Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. You can go to the website, andysmom.com and find out more there. Um, she's dealt with kids who've been lost from grown-up kids, <clears throat> teenagers, young children, babies, and who have died in all sorts of different ways. And so all that sort of the tragedy that we deal with in life all the time. Obviously, things change with COVID. And so one of the songs that uh, was commissioned in honor of Andy never got sung because the topsy-turvy world, it just never happened because of, 20, because of COVID. And so it is premiering that concert this uh, this Tuesday. So if you want to get to catch that again, it's at 7 p.m. Without further ado, uh, we'll let you, we'll close with Andy Solo. And um, I hope you we have a great game and we'll talk to you after the Oakland game. Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.